Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. It's National FFA Week, and fortunately, it's a week where we're starting to warm up across the country. We'll talk weather with DTN meteorologist Bryce Anderson in a bit. How how warm might we get? How long will this warm-up last, or do we have another winter storm we need to be watching? He'll bring us up to date. More reaction to USDA Outlook Forum numbers from last week and a look at the markets with Arlen Suderman with Stone X. And we're also going to look into the, uh, to the pipeline for Bayer as their head of North American field testing will join us a little bit later on to take a look at some of the things being worked on. So all that coming up on today's program here on AOA. But we're happy to start things off with a look at the news with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, good to talk with you again. Will be a busy week as far as uh, some key uh, Biden administration posts to be filled. And it looks like uh, this is a week we'll finally get Tom Vilsack uh, confirmed once again as Ag Secretary. Yeah, good morning, Mike, and it is going to be another busy week. Our team will be watching the Senate confirmation vote on Tom Vilsack, so he is widely expected to be cleared for a second stint as Agriculture Secretary, and then there's some other nominees that will also be considered. Catherine Tai, who is the nominee for U.S. Trade Representative, will be considered on Thursday, and there's also a, a hearing for Deb Holland, who is the nominee for Interior. Um, not so sure how that one's going to go. No one has said publicly they're opposed, but um, Joe Manchin, the senator from West Virginia, has come out against the OMB nominee, who is Mira Tandon, and we're going to be watching closely to see whether he also opposes Holland because of some of her positions on energy. Yeah, Vilsack expected to go smoothly. Some of the others, as you mentioned, probably will not, and we'll see how that plays out. Uh, interesting look uh, with the, we know there's going to be a push on climate issues and policy, and uh, we know that Tom Vilsack has a strong background of supporting conservation programs, and it's going to be very interesting, especially in light of higher commodity prices now. Can they attract more acres into the conservation reserve program? Yeah, absolutely. I heard some discussion about this last week during the Outlook Forum, and we've also written a piece about the Conservation Reserve Program looking at that declining interest, especially with these higher prices. That's when the USDA in the past has gotten criticized for throwing out more money in rental rates than people could get from actually working the farm. So it's a delicate balancing act for them. And are they going to offer a lot higher rental rate in order to try to attract those acres into the retirement and sequester more carbon? Or what are they going to do in terms of options, in terms of bringing the CIP up to even the levels of which it could be? You could have the highest amount of enrollment. I don't think a lot of folks are looking for CRP right now because of these high commodity prices. But, you know, they may have some bigger incentives going forward after Tom Vilsack gets fully into his office. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about, hey, uh, maybe we 
get a lot more acres? Can we put more acres in there because it was very attractive with low commodity prices? But it's a different uh, different ball game now. So we'll see where that goes. Meanwhile, it, uh, the Biden administration pushing an immigration bill. It'll be interesting to see how agriculture fares in this. Yeah, you know, I was I had the honor of moderating a session at the Ag Outlook Conference on Friday, and Chuck Connor with the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives was on my panel. One of the things he talked about was that this is probably one of the biggest disappointments for him over his entire career, ranging from deputy secretary to corn refiners to NCFC, that he just has not been able to see this really workable immigration bill for farm workers get over the finish line. And I think that's been a frustration for so many of us in agriculture, watching this get really close at one time, you know, getting past the Senate, but not being able to pass the House in the last year, getting past the House, a different version. But this new one is a 353-page measure uh, building on the immigration plan that Biden had talked a little bit about during the campaign. Um, it doesn't include any reforms to expand or replace the H-2A visa program for foreign farm workers. Um, and so it's got some other challenges where it's not really what the aggregates want, but it's a start. And I think everybody says if we can get a start um, and that if this is really a priority for the Biden administration, maybe this will finally be the year that uh, it has a chance to see completion. Yeah, it's been a challenge in finding a, a some kind of a compromise, a solution that uh, really helps agriculture and fits into the overall pattern. Uh, it's been elusive, and it seems like that word "comprehensive" is the is the sticking point. Uh, whenever they try to come up with this huge package to fit all scenarios, that's when it kind of starts breaking down. Absolutely, and you really do need a big tent of supporters to, you know, to to back mm -hmm. this through the House and the Senate. But oftentimes, that's when you get some of these poison pills thrown in, and, and it uh, upsets the apple cart for everybody. Meanwhile, we'll watch also this week. Uh, will they get anything done in Congress on uh, another stimulus package? And agriculture watching closely there as well. Absolutely. The House will vote on uh, the $1.9 trillion stimulus plan this week, and, um, you know, they've got, they've got the votes. Uh, it'll be a straight party line vote, I believe. There might be a few Republicans that, that vote for it, but the leadership is whipping hard to keep them as a no vote right now. Uh, it's, it's just really interesting to watch. Obviously, there's some things in here for agriculture, $3.6 billion in aid for the food supply chain. $5 million in debt relief from minority farmers to forgive their loans, a temporary increase in SNAP benefits. But um, uh, a lot of folks are arguing we still have about a trillion left from the last one, and shouldn't we use a little bit more of that first? So I, I don't have any doubt that it's going to smooth, uh, smoothly pass the House and then we'll go over the Senate and see if there's any opposition there. But uh, likely to move forward with this really big package. And finally, Sarah, you have a summit, a virtual summit coming up in March, uh, focusing on climate policy. Tell us about it. Yeah, I hope folks will go to our website, agro-pulse.com, and look under the events tab to see the great lineup of speakers that we're going to have through National Ag Week. You know, we are all talking about climate, but a lot of folks don't know all the different parameters. And so this is a big look from all sorts of administration officials, uh, members of Congress, 
House uh, leadership and Senate leadership on the Ag Committees, and a lot of private sector folks who are a part of the Food and Ag Climate Alliance, as well as some environmental groups uh, who are going to just offer their different perspectives on what we should have for climate policy going forward. And I think if you're not totally up to speed on some of these different options being discussed, this is such a great opportunity. And it's virtual, so you can join from all around the country. Uh, just sign up, and uh, it'll be three half days on March 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. And we encourage people to uh, sign up and be a part of that. All right, Sarah, good to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Have a great week. Take care. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. We'll talk weather next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. I'm Andrew Saul, Commissioner of Social Security. Beware of telephone scammers pretending to be government employees. Real Social Security employees will never threaten you. Call is threatening you with arrest or other legal action and demanding money are not from us. If you receive a call like this, Hang up, do not provide them with any form of payment or information. Report the call at oig.ssa.gov. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're talking with Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. Last time we talked, you brought up some of those decisions that farmers will have to make when it comes to uh, what to plant. So now this winter weather and the impact on the wheat crop, that could influence those decisions, as you said, even more. Well, it certainly will. You know, we had just before this cold weather event, we were reaching points in southwest Kansas and feedlot country where corn and wheat were actually near even money for cash prices. So you had feedlots that were making decisions that were going with beginning to put wheat into their feed rations because corn basis was so strong in some of these countries. We were seeing wheat moving into the Texas panhandle into feedlots. And when you have prices like this where farmers can lock in not just for this crop year but for next crop year on some of these row crop prices, and if they're able to lock in some of their other input prices, it's certainly attractive for producers and it's really could affect what happens with our overall wheat acres and potential carryout projections. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org slash caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's talk weather with Bryce Anderson, DTN Senior Meteorologist. Bryce, what a difference a week makes. Well, very true, Mike. It was a week ago that uh, the uh, the terrible cold wave really uh, started in. And, uh, you know, the uh, the kinds of damage that it caused and, and uh, loss of life and uh, economic dislocation has pretty well been uh, covered and uh, discussed. And fortunately, uh, that very... Uh, terrible cold wave is starting to move out. Uh, we're getting some rain and snow in the northeast now with kind of a leftover from that cold core, and uh, it is turning milder and drier, which will allow for the southern plains to thaw and start to uh, you know get into recovery and trying to kind of rebuild uh, the, the damage that uh, was caused is uh, going to take a long time to, to get back into action. We know that. And, you know, we're probably going to be feeling the effects of it in some form for quite a while. Not that winter is over, certainly, but is the worst of winter behind us, you think? I do think it is. Uh, you know, as we get into the end of February now, uh, the, the, uh, the real cold uh, conditions are pretty well behind us, I think. Now, it doesn't mean that uh, it's uh, not going to still be on the cold side because uh, when we get uh, through uh, the end of this week and then into March, it is still going to be quite a bit below normal in temperatures over a large part of the central part of the country. Uh, but the uh, just, uh, you know, brutally uh, cold air is uh, going to be uh, behind us. I, I still think... I mean, the forecast have talked about this consistently, that uh, an actual warm-up for spring in terms of uh, doing field work and uh, everything that goes with getting the crop season going is going to be a little bit of a slower start. Uh, we just don't see the uh, kind of uh, sustained uh, above-normal temperatures that uh, would lead to uh, that uh, above average or ahead of average start to spring. And so I think that that's going to still be a feature as we go through the balance of the next uh, four weeks or so. So you, uh, you're, not, uh, you're not seeing a, an early start to, to spring field work and planting? No, I never have. If I did, <laughs> if I did, I apologize. But, um, but no, that's not been in the forecast. Uh, you know, spring season is uh, starting out March, April, May period, particularly March and April, uh, below average on temperatures over quite a bit of the uh, central part of the country. Uh, when we get into the uh, month of May, conditions are, are looking uh, a little bit milder on temperatures, but especially this uh, first part of the spring season, and I'm, I'm going to recheck the, the uh, seasonal forecast that we have right now uh, that uh, seasonal temperature trend in the U.S. is uh, looking in, uh, in large part to have a uh, below-normal uh, track for most of the northern and the, and the uh, north-central part of the country. 
especially when we look at the month of March. And uh, that's going to, like I say, keep things a little bit on the slower side in terms of uh, getting uh, everything together uh, to get the uh, spring underway. Still a lot of dry areas. Uh, do you see, um, what do you see with precipitation here the next couple of months? Well, the, uh, the prospects for rainfall or, or precip are, are showing quite a bit of uh, variability with um, the northern plains and then the eastern Midwest from, from the Mississippi Valley on east likely to have above normal precipitation. But in contrast, uh, the, the plains, the, great, uh, the central and southern plains, western Midwest still below normal on precip. Uh, the drought forecast uh, for the uh, spring season going out to the uh, end of May has just about all of the plains either continuing in drought or developing drought. And in the western Midwest, very little uh, precip from uh, about uh, the, certainly the uh, central part of Iowa, Interstate 35 west and for that matter, uh, you know, potentially a little bit on the drier side from the Mississippi River on west. So there, there's not, you know, going to be a whole lot of difference, a whole lot of improvement in some of these real dry areas. Now, in contrast, you get into, you get to the eastern Midwest, conditions looking wetter. Uh, there could actually be some delays in terms of field work because of the heavier precip. Uh, so it's a it's a real uh, back and forth, uh, a real difference, uh, the way things are looking at this point. Wow, you got a lot of folks hoping you're wrong. Oh, I know that, but like <laughs> I say, you know, I've had uh, I've had a couple of uh, presentations uh, virtually that I've given. Uh, I talked about it uh, at our Ag Summit last year or last winter mm -hmm. uh, with mm -hmm. the same type of scenario. So, you know, I. Don't mean to be. Uh, I I don't mean to uh, to sound like uh, I'm I'm offering a lot of real bad news, but I don't think I'm saying anything that uh, you know people have uh, not thought about. I was on a conference call last week uh, with the uh, NOAA uh, regional uh, forecast call, and uh, you know there are some good friends of mine in the in the weather community in uh, USDA and in the uh, various uh, public uh, service weather agencies who are looking at the same type of scenario uh, with the potential for rainfall in the eastern Corn Belt, possibly, depending on, causing some uh, delays in field work potentially, and then in the western belt, a drier trend. Um, you know, it, uh, it still is, uh, you know, there's still quite a ways to go, but that's the way the forecast is uh, looking, and that's the way that it's looked for quite a while. We're not going to blame the messenger. You just uh, you're just giving us what you see, so we won't blame you. Well, I, what do you? I appreciate yeah. that, but I but I know I know that's different, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's the latest down yeah. in South America? The pattern has not changed, uh, and uh, I think that the uh, the market reaction is uh, certainly reflecting that. Uh, Argentina is going to be dry this week. Southern Brazil is going to be dry. They have been dry in those areas. And um, in Argentina, particularly, the temperature pattern is going to turn to above normal. 
uh, during this week. Now, Argentina's been kind of variable. That's held off on any real heat stress. But uh, this week, the uh, trend is looking above normal on temperatures. So that could be pretty stressful to these uh, filling corn and soybean crops there. Now, uh, Mato Grosso, Brazil, uh, did have a little bit less rain overnight, but the weekend was pretty heavy on rainfall. So they still have that delay in uh, soybean harvest and uh, the delay in planting uh, that safrina corn crop that is such a big component of their total corn production. Uh, so that uh, pattern has pretty well stayed in place. La Nina is in effect in the Pacific. It still is a moderately strong event. And uh, again, those uh, features are not going to uh, show very much of a change uh, during the next uh, several weeks. Fair to say, and we've been watching it for some time, uh, fair to say that's becoming uh, quite a story, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, this, uh, you know, the, the strength of La Nina and uh, the prospects, Mike, included uh, with, the, uh, with the chance for La Nina to, to uh, kind of reform during uh, late summer. You know, that's one, uh, that's one angle of this uh, ongoing uh, situation. And then uh, the, the prospect that Brazil is going to have this uh, sharp cutoff in moisture for that uh, second corn crop uh, and, and the fact that the Argentina crops are way down uh, in terms of their condition from last year, uh, it's, it's got a lot of attention uh, in, a lot of, in a lot of places where markets are traded and uh, commodities are, are looked at uh, as a real key feature of their, of their particular um, livelihood. Yeah, we're going to talk about the, the market impact of, of what you're telling us about in South American weather coming up in our next segment. All right, Bryce, thanks. I guess in your business, if you want to be popular a lot, you'd work in San Diego and Hawaii, right? That's Those are good places to be the weatherman. That, that's about right, but uh, as long as things <laughs> stay interesting, uh, then, uh, you know, there's also the, that, that chance to uh, be a part of the conversation. That's right. We always appreciate you being with us. Thanks, Bryce. You're welcome, Mike. Good to talk to you. DTN Senior Meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Up next, we'll talk markets with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP. 
so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Grain markets are mostly higher to start off this week. The focus this week will be on South American weather and logistics, ongoing export demand in the U.S., and how disrupted ethanol production was amid the cold blast last week. On the Board of Trade, March corn is trading four and a fraction higher at 547. The May contract up five cents at 546 and three quarters. For soybeans, the March contract trading a penny higher at 1378. Eight and a fraction. The May contract up two cents at 13.82. For the wheat, Chicago wheat March trading eight and three quarters higher at 6.59 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat March up eight and a half cent at 6.40 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat March up seven and a fraction at 6.36. The May contract up seven and a fraction at 6.47 and a quarter. The cattle on feed report was mostly neutral with the exception of placements. This is not expected to have much influence on closer contracts, but may have an impact on later contracts. Packers are expected to need beef to make up for lost time in those areas where the winter storm moved through, disrupting hauling and slaughter, but steady bids may be enough to get cattle they need as feedlots may be willing to sell. Hogs are expected to begin this week with a wait-and-see attitude. May lean hogs are trading seven cents lower at 87.32, the June contract up 35 at 92.67. For feeder cattle, the March contract down 57 at 138.55. April down 27 at 142.40. April live cattle trading 67 cents lower at 123.02. The June contract down 62 cents at 119.90. In the outside markets, the Dow is down 55 points. The Nasdaq composite down 129. The S&P 500 down 15. Crude oil is up $1.64 at 60.90. The U.S. dollar is trending lower. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Egg Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual, and uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, I want to get some uh, reaction to last week's USDA Outlook Forum numbers from Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Arlen, good to talk with you. Well, uh, they didn't blow up the market rally. Uh, what, what were your thoughts of the uh, numbers last week? Any surprises to you? 
concerned me because they pretty much in line with my estimate. So when that happens, <laughs> I get concerned. Uh, but overall, the acreage numbers, first of all, that came out were fairly well in line with trade expectations and very close to our numbers. Um, they were at 90 million acres of soybeans, 92 million acres of, of corn. I'm at 90.5 million acres of soybeans and 92 million acres of corn. That's still a very fluid situation, and the markets will have to work that out as we get into March. I think we'll probably see a little bit more volatility there. We have a little better handle on the weather and how it's playing out for the safrina corn crop getting planted as well as the Argentine crop where they're currently dry. Wetness is a problem for Brazil now, dryness in Argentina. And as we get into March, if this trend continues, that'll, that'll get a little bit more attention, as well as U.S. weather forecasts for the spring and into the summer. Uh, when you come to the balance sheets overall, uh, their demand estimates were fairly aggressive. Uh, but within the realm of possibilities. And probably the only place where we had significant disagreements was on the corn export number, where there are several hundred million bushels higher than what I am. What their estimates very well could happen. I'm just continuing to be cautious there because of the ongoing comments we continue to hear inside of China about keeping a lid on exports and some of the signals that we're getting coming out of China uh, on whether China will actually take shipment of all that corn or not in the current marketing year. But outside of that, their numbers were fairly close, and uh, that, that's what surprised me. Yeah, the surprise that there wasn't a big surprise, I guess. So uh, let's look at that South American situation. We just talked about it with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. As that situation develops there, what's the market moving potential if uh, they continue to have some weather issues? Well, when you look at the balance sheet, it's, it's very tight for soybeans, and it's snug for corn and has a potential to get very tight. Uh, and so the market will be more responsive. There is a tremendous amount of money that is available, and more and more of it is moving into the markets. Position limits have been a cap for some of the institutional investors wanting to invest in the commodities. Those all go up by 60 to 80 percent, depending on the commodity, on March 15th. So in other words, an institutional customer could have a much larger position, and that can lead to higher highs and lower lows in the market, more volatility. Um, but the inflation story is increasingly getting more and more hype now with yields on 10-year Treasury spiking much higher, um, up a full percentage point over from last March's low and really accelerating here in recent weeks. And that is helping to drive more money to the commodity. So can they go much higher if we get the fundamental support for it in South America? Absolutely. Soybeans are most susceptible right now, um, but corn as well. I, I should say a little bit of a caveat on the soybeans. With soybeans here, we're starting to ramp up the flow of soybeans from Brazil to China. Delayed by about three, three and a half weeks, but it is starting to ramp up now. And so the immediate threat to supplies is probably going to ease somewhat in the, in the soybean market. That doesn't mean the market's job is done because I think we're in real danger of running out of soybeans in the United States this summer 
So the market will have to provide an incentive for importing some soybeans if that's the case and shifting around supplies and inside the United States and in the world. Um, but that may not provide the impetus near term. So near term we may see more focus on corn because of that, because the funds will be able to understand that a little bit better in a near term. So both get supported, but it shifts, shifts around the dynamics. Bryce Anderson also told us, and it's still February, but late February, he thinks that it's going to be a cool spring for much of the uh, central part of the country, and those dry areas are still going to be dry as we head into planting time. Well, and that's just going to get farmers more and more worried about a dry summer. Uh, whether that happens, we can certainly flip the pattern, but that does increase anxiety and make the farmer less interested in selling uh, um, any new crop type until he has a better handle being able to get the crop in. He sold most of his old crop corn and soybeans, and so any additional selling he could do would be in the new crop, where he really hasn't sold very much at this point. So if he's concerned about the crop ahead, he's going to be more reluctant to add selling pressure to the market, uh, which allows the funds to do their job more, um, and uh, particularly if we get a, a building story. The dryness is particularly a concern in the northern plains, northwestern, midwest, and uh, that's an area where I think we're probably going to see quite a few more oil seeds this year um, that may play into the spring wheat planting decision on the availability of acres there as well. Uh, ironically, wetness is the problem in the delta in the mid-south with prices being what they are and tightness of stocks. There's a lot of farmers there who would like to plant early and so they could harvest early to take advantage of those old crop premiums and this is going to make it more difficult for them to do that. Talking with Arlen Suderman with Stone X, I guess on the other hand, and we've had these recent years where we had so many prevent, prevent plant acres because of flooding, that may not be an issue this year, so maybe more of those acres do come back into production. Yeah, absolutely. And last year we didn't have the price incentive to really push the envelope on getting those acres planted. If it was tough going, um, there was incentive to simply not not uh, give extra effort to do it and take the insurance payment. This year the incentive is going to be there to try to get it planted. So if there are any problem areas, they're going to do what they can. And that's what we're seeing in South America as well. So I talked to our office on Friday down there uh, in Brazil. Um, it, they're getting quite concerned about the lateness of planting corn in Mato Grosso and surrounding areas. Those are the key production areas. The planting pace is at about half the normal rate. This is the week when the window starts to close for optimizing yields, uh, and less than half of the crop is planted. Uh, and yet they told me that the price incentive is so strong that they will continue to plant and they will plant late like what we did in the United States a couple of years ago. That makes it higher risk on the yields, but the incentive is there to try to maximize the acreage. Yeah, higher prices just changes the the approach, the narrative on, on so many things, doesn't it? It really does, and it certainly makes it a lot easier to get up in the morning um, and uh, do the work when there's a price incentive there. Yeah, and it, it's 
it's just such a different picture than what we've dealt with for the last several years. And so much of it has, of course, been based on China's buying. As you said, they're starting to buy more South American uh, beans now. What do you see as far as the demand picture from them moving forward as we try to get a better handle on their needs? Yeah, I was talking to our Shanghai office this morning about that um, and working through the numbers. And basically, this past week, Brazil shipped about 1 million metric tons of soybeans, and that's uh, gradually increasing now. They need to be shipping about 2 million metric tons per week in order to meet all of China's crush needs on a weekly basis. Uh, it takes 45 days for those soybeans to reach Chinese ports where the crushers are at. So the beans that are shipped now arrive end of March, 1st of April. So we're really looking at a window of opportunity. It takes about 18 days to go from the PNW Pacific Northwest to China. So we're probably looking at about four more weeks of active shipping to China before it drops off sharply. Uh, we think they're pretty close to have bought what they need uh, in order to fill that window. It's a matter of now taking shipments, and of course that's part of the problem is shipments this year already exceed the seasonal pace needed at USDA's target by 370 million bushels. So we're going to have to have see shipments not just to China, but non-China customers really drop off dramatically over the remainder of the marketing year as well if we're going to have enough soybeans for our crushers this summer. All right, Arlen, I, you know, we just we started off by saying no real big surprises in last week's USDA Outlook Forum. What stood out to me was how things have changed because it wasn't that long ago that se same set of numbers with the, you know, the acre projections of 92 million on corn and 90 million on soybeans, that would have been looked at as bearish because of, we were dealing with such huge stocks numbers. Now because of the tight stocks, that, that number is not viewed as, as bearish. Demand really feels good, doesn't it? In a demand market, uh, you know, we had a supply threat a couple of years ago when we had the planting problems, uh, the worst on record. Um, but yet the markets re responded in the short term, went up and collapsed right back down again. But when you have a strong demand base, that's a much healthier type of a rally in the market. And as we're seeing now, the breaks continue to get bought until we can see how things play out and it's it's just a much healthier situation to be in all the way around yes indeed all right arlen good to talk with you thank you sir thank you arlen suderman chief commodities economist for stone x all right up next we will talk with the head of north american field testing for bear we'll see what they're working on and what's in the pipeline that's next on aoa Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Uh. 
text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready, and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is $35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Egg retailers, co-ops, and custom applicators have enormous productivity requirements. With thousands of acres of fertilizer to apply in a short window of time, they don't have time to make mistakes in the field. Intelligent Ag's Recon SpreadSense is the first ag technology that monitors the flow of product on floaters. The technology identifies flow issues to avoid streaks in the field that can hurt yield potential. Reduce the risk of misapplication by investing in Recon SpreadSense. Never doubt what you're putting out. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org recently on Adams on Agriculture. Happy to have with us the new president of the National Association of Conservation Districts, Michael Crowder. It'll be interesting to see where we go with conservation, with this new push, with climate policies and things like that. What are your goals? What are your priorities for this coming year? One of my big goals is climate change as far as where the new administration is going with climate change. How is it going to affect farmers, ranchers, foresters? We want to make sure that we represent those producers in the right way with make sure the upcoming farm bill will have those issues that's best in mind for, for producers. So that's where I see climate change coming. There's also a part of that is food security and insecurity. We all know that 2020 was a hard year and some of our products didn't get to market. And if we have food security, you know, it, that's national security. So that's important to all producers is that we have free-flowing markets. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. 
The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, as we look ahead to this planting and growing season and beyond... Happy to have with us now Tom Jury. He's head of North American Field Testing for Bayer. Tom, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Tell, let's look at your approach at Bayer. Tell us a little bit about uh, what is a multi-pronged approach to breeding and innovation. Yeah, so historically, you know, when we thought about what our grower customers needed, we thought about yield as being the only driver of, of value. But but today we're really having to rethink that and, and realize that everything that we do has to return value to the grower, and sometimes that's that's more than just simply thinking about the uh, about yield as a standalone. So we're trying to build up a testing network that evaluates not just yield, but the the way our customers grow our products, and then eventually be able to make recommendations down to a field or even within a field in order to help make decisions with our growers to give them the highest likelihood of success and, and, and you know the return portion of that would be increased profitability uh, to our grower and hopefully a more sustainable product to the environment so helping growers produce more with fewer inputs right correct yep that, that's our ultimate objective that's a, that would be a win for both of us because if we if we aren't ultimately able to do that you know everything we do is is, is based on the customers want to to buy our products, and if we can't provide that that environment where they do that with fewer inputs, lower costs, but also increase their their productivity, then then we're probably not doing what we need to do on our end of the equation. We we hear so much about collecting, storing, using data uh, in agriculture today. How does the use of data science factor into the to this innovation you're talking about at Bear? Yeah, so we're collecting uh, more information than, than we ever have before, and we're analyzing pretty much more than I ever even thought we'd be able to collect. And then you, you layer on with that you know, decades of, of historical data that we can now pull together in ways we never have before. We're able to use things like machine learning and artificial intelligence to, to really understand what every field is telling us about our products. In the past, we try to do that with simple associations by simply looking at maturity or, or, or a region where something was, was grown and try to make, you know, one to two comparisons uh, per, per data cut. But today, as we're able to, to amalgamate these layers of information, really understanding the, the multi-factors that are, are involved with driving yield, which will ultimately let us understand our, our products at a much deeper level and even get us to the point where we're able to make recommendations down to that field level 
So this multi-factor approach is, is way better than anything we've done historically, and, and it takes a lot of compute power, and it's without the computing power, we would never have been able to do it, as it's probably more information than you know a single person at a computer can can put together on their own. So the the machine learning is really going to be what provides the biggest value to the growers forward, and I think has gotten to this point now where it's as important as the testing we do is our ability to, to look at that data and, and ultimately turn it into a recommendation. We're talking with Tom Jury. He's head of North American field testing for Bayer. Well, tell us about precision breeding and how you're testing varieties so that they'll better fit within you know, certain geographies. Sure. So precision breeding is about how we design products to, to be in a, in a particular field or geography. So in the past, we'd simply just make all the, the uh, crosses we could and then hopefully sort out at the back end which ones work where. With precision breeding, we're, we're actually designing the types of populations we want to make and only testing them in the environments where we think they're a good fit to really fully understand uh, holistically what that cross is doing for us. And I would say the, the key driver for this within testing, which is the organization I run, is, is really making sure we have a testing environment that mimics exactly what our grower environments are and then be able to put that specific genetics into that specific place so we can increase the likelihood of success for, for getting what a grower wants or needs. It, it really is going into a mode of where we want to design the best instead of the past mode where we selected the best. So let's look into your pipeline, your breeding pipeline. What can you tell us uh, that you're working on? What we'll be seeing coming soon? Yeah, when I think about what's coming, there's two things that come to mind. One is uh, short statured corn, and the other is, is this concept of tailored solutions. For short statured corn, uh, the real standout for me individually is, is standability. When I look at the uh, extreme environments that we've, we've uh, exposed short stature corn to, you really see it stand out relative to its tall counterparts. It has, a, it has an amazing ability to, to hold its yield and, and really secure the uh, um, yield to the, to the farmer. On the tailored solution side, this is really something that, you know, bringing companies together has enabled. Our growers, they just don't plant seed or they just don't spray chemistry. They, they have a system. They have a system that they go through the season with, and they make decisions differently as they're exposed to different things through that system. So we can amass a pretty massive set of experience for each line over time period. So we get the line for six to eight years before it does, and as long as we're testing the line appropriately, we can start to understand and predict you know, changes that happen through the growing season and, and hopefully assist our customers with the decision-making process of what they do through each season. So this is really something that's, that's exciting, and I think the data set we're putting together is going to be quite amazing. Well, always an interesting process, and... and Always enjoy getting a, a peek into that pipeline, what you're working on, what your approach is. Tom, thanks for being with us. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's Tom Jury, head of North American Field Testing for Bayer. And with that, we are out of time. Thank you for being with us. Coming up tomorrow, it is National FFA Week. We'll take a look at some of the uh, 
national uh, activities going on and a little bit more about what's happening within the FFA organization and much more reaction to those outlook numbers from last week and where the markets are headed. And, of course, we'll keep you update on the news. So hope you'll join us. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for being with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.